Let us pray. God, take our ears and hear through them. Take our minds and think through them. And take our hearts and set them on fire. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. Well, one of the very best parts of Christmas is the music, isn't it? Singing carols together. Uh, listening to the choir this morning, that was fantastic. And uh, John Rudder, Candlelight Carol, it's one of my favorites, so thank you very much. This time of year, we all look forward to uh, listening again to songs that we're glad to hear every year, year after year. And so at our house, we actually have a box of Christmas music. It's downstairs in the basement. It's stored where all the other Christmas stuff is stored. And uh, I know that by now, every song in that box can probably be found online. But I still like to bring it upstairs. I still like to open it because it still makes me smile. Because there are all sorts of CDs in there that we've collected through the years. And that box really does contain the sound of Christmas, at least for our house. And so I brought a few of them along. These are the songs we listen to at Christmas. Uh, of course, the Charlie Brown Christmas, Vince Guaraldi. I even like a little drummer boy on this one. Uh, Sufjan Stevens, maybe some of you have this, the whole box set. This is uh, played in heavy rotation at our house. Uh, I got this one a couple years ago, Christmas with John Baptiste. I love his music, and I love how he, uh, how he put this together. Uh, a Dave Brubeck Christmas, got to have a little classic jazz. Uh, the Messiah, of course, Leonard Bernstein. We have uh, Pink Martini, a little local flavor. All right, some fans, some fans. And then this one, this is an older one. In fact, I, I know somewhere I have a, either a vinyl or a cassette copy. It's called Winter Song. It's the Paul Winter Consort. Some of you might know them. And at our house, it is, it is an ironclad requirement that this play on Christmas morning as we are making Christmas breakfast. If it doesn't play, I don't think my family would be sure it was actually Christmas. So these are some of the favorites that we have at our house. And I'm sure that you all have favorites at your house, too. Whoa. Uh, favorite songs, favorite singers, favorite carols, favorite performances. Uh, in fact, I wanted to check out about one favorite because uh, you might have saw this in the news a couple weeks ago. The number one hit on Billboard's Hot 100, which I didn't even know Billboard Hot 100 still existed. Do you know what it was? Did anyone see the story? The number one hit in America was Brenda Lee singing Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. Brenda Lee recorded that song and released it 65 years ago. 65 years ago, and it's number one now. That means it must be someone's favorite. I don't think it's on any of the CDs I just showed you. I'm not sure it would be in my top list. It's got to be someone's. Is it anyone here, like, your favorite song? Anyone here It's in your top 10 favorite songs? Okay, I see, I see a couple hands there. I'm going to assume Brenda Lee's family has uh, really played that one a lot. So I, I don't know. We all have our favorites. Now, this morning, we sang another Christmas song, but it's a song that I don't think shows up on many, if any, list of Christmas favorites. We sang Mary's song just now, the Magnificat, or we sang a version of the Magnificat that's found in Luke chapter 1. By the way, it's called Magnificat because that's the first word in the Latin text. Not on many CDs. Uh, I don't remember ever hearing that uh, playing in the background as I was shopping in a store somewhere, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices. That, that's probably not part of the rotation in most Christmas stores. But it is a terrifically important song for us to listen to at Christmas. It is a powerful song that means to shape the way that we remember, the way we experience, uh, the way we understand Christmas. And it is a remarkable song. 
Uh, at this point in Luke's gospel, Mary was uh, uh, certainly a, a youngish young woman. She was likely 14, maybe 15, possibly 16 years old. She and Joseph lived in a nondescript uh, small village in Galilee. Nazareth probably didn't have more than 400 people in it. But Mary sings this song that powerfully captures the meaning of the incarnation, powerfully captures the meaning of the birth of Jesus. It is a song that is uh, at once bluntly truthful and deeply trusting. The Magnificat is bluntly truthful. Now, if you think about it, most of the songs that we sing about Mary this time of year tend to be lullabies. We sing, well, I'm not going to sing it, but think it in your head as I say it. We sing, uh, what child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while angels, no, while shepherds watch are keeping. Or we sing, uh, and we'll sing this on Christmas Eve, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant so tender and mild. They are beautiful songs. They're songs that capture the winsomeness of a new birth, that capture the, 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 the sense of peaceableness that we hope for. But that is not the song that Mary's singing, not here in Luke chapter 1. The Magnificat is not a lullaby. In fact, Mary is really singing the blues. Otis Moss III, who's the pastor at Trinity uh, UCC Church in Chicago, wrote a, note, a, a book called Blue Note Preaching, and he defines the blues this way. The blues is one of America's unique and enduring art forms. The roots are African, but the compositions are forged in the humid south. It is more than music. The blues is a cultural legacy, and this is the important part, a cultural legacy that dares to see the American landscape from the viewpoint of the underside. That's what's going on in the Magnificat. Mary is daring to see the view, the view from the underside. That's Mary's song. That's the key she's singing in. So listen again. This is from the Magnificat. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Mary is singing from the viewpoint of the underside. Mary and Joseph were poor. They were powerless. Life was hard. In Nazareth, most people were subsistence farmers. They were scraping by, literally scraping by. Life was hard, and it was getting harder. That region was uh, ruled by Herod the Great. He's the villain in the story at Christmas. Herod was brutal. We know that Herod had little regard for the lives of others. He was also very ambitious. He had a great public works building program. You can still see remnants in Israel today. The Second Temple, Masada, Caesarea Maritima. Well, if you're going to have a big public works building program, somebody's got to pay for it. So these subsistence farmers now had to come up with the money to pay the taxes. And if the crops failed, guess what? Tax bill still comes due. They were always in danger that they were going to lose their land, that they were going to become sharecroppers that they were going to have to buy the food that they were working in the fields to raise. And so they all had a feeling of the weight of oppression. They were all on the underside. In the Magnificat, Mary is singing the blues. She's telling the blunt truth about what is. 
It's important that we hear it. It's important that we feel it too. So Jerry's going to help me out here because feeling it is part of the power of the blues. So we're going to sing the first verse of a favorite carol, a favorite song. Uh, it's Away in the Manger. You can find it in the, uh, the Purple Book. It's 257. We're going to sing it to a different tune. We're going to sing it first, though, as a lullaby. Can you play that first line for us, Jerry? All right, let's sing together. Away in a manger, no beautiful song. It's a lovely tune, but it's a song with a harsh backstory. I mean, remember, Joseph and Mary were compelled to travel to Bethlehem on orders of an occupying authority. Does that sound familiar? They were internally displaced. And once there, once in royal David's city, Herod, King Herod, frightened by news of the one born a child and yet a king, forces them to flee. They become refugees in Egypt. So listen again to this song as Jerry plays it as a blues song. And you can follow along the words in 257. And note in verse 3 there's a prayer. Bless all the dear children in thy tender care. So think of the children now forced to flee. Children have been displaced. Refugees. Think of the children in Gaza. Think of the children right here in Portland living outside, no safe place to call home. changes the song, doesn't it? And that's what the Magnificat means to do. Mary is singing the blues. She's telling the truth about what is. And at the same time, Mary is trusting God for what is to be. 
Mary knows that her story is connected to a much bigger story, that her story is connected to God's story. Her song is actually a cover. It's a remix, if you will, of an older song, of Hannah's song, way back in 1 Samuel. It's a story in which Hannah also surprisingly finds herself pregnant at a much more advanced age. 1 Samuel, Hannah sings, The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble gird on strength. The Lord raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. And her song pulls from the imagery of the prophet Isaiah. It's a song that uh, we still hear, and you will hear in store sometimes. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together. Mary knows that her story is part of a much bigger story, that her story is connected to God's story. And so in her song, Mary holds on to the promise made long ago, back in Genesis, the promise to Abraham and Sarah that all the families of the earth will be blessed. She holds to the hope, to the future that the, promise, that the prophets had imagined of a world blessed with shalom, a world blessed with God's holy and just peace. Mary understands somehow that all of this is coming true. She understands somehow that all of it is beginning in her, that this dream, this dream of a world being turned right side up is beginning to take form in her, and that this child, this Christ child, will make visible what God means to do in the whole wide world. And so she sings, my soul proclaims with wonder the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary is singing about the world that God is making possible through her and for her and for us all. If we listen, Mary's Christmas song compels us still to be bluntly truthful and to trust deeply. It compels us to be truthful about ourselves and our lives, to be truthful about the times that we're living in, the state of the world around us, to be truthful about what's broken and unjust, what's wrong, what's sinful. And that truthfulness is important. It's necessary. It's essential. Because if we're not willing to be truthful, then Christmas can devolve pretty much just into a season of sentimentality and nothing really changes. And for those of us who don't much experience life from the underside, it's especially important for us to be truthful. Otherwise, we can make our way through Christmas on a wave of easy piety and miss the power of the incarnation of Jesus to change us and to change all things. If we listen, Mary singing the blues compels us to be truthful. And Mary's song invites us still to trust deeply. The trust that the God born to us in Jesus continues to come into our lives and into our world. The trust that the song of the angels will come true, that there will be peace on earth. The trust that we can live with hope rather than giving in to despair. That we can live in love rather than reacting only to our fears. That we can open our hearts and our minds and the deepest vulnerable places of our lives and trust that God will be with us. Mary's song invites us to trust in the vulnerable, powerful love of God born to us in Christ. And if we listen carefully, we can still hear echoes of Mary's song 
in our Christmas songs. We can hear the truthfulness about the world we live in. Uh, just this week, I learned uh, that the song, Do You Hear What I Hear? Do you know that song? Do you? Oh, okay, I'm not singing it. You just have to imagine. Yeah, no, no luck. Do You Hear What I Hear? That song was written in the midst of the Cuban Missile Crisis, 1962. It's a song that carries the existential dread the writers felt during the Cold War. In an interview, one of the, uh, one of the writers of the song said that when they were recording that song in the studio, the producer was listening to the radio to see if we had been obliterated. That makes the prayer in that song all the more poignant, all the more powerful. Pray for peace, people everywhere. We can hear the truthfulness in other Christmas songs too. For example, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote, uh, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. He wrote it as a poem on Christmas Day in 1863, Civil War. His oldest son had enlisted against his father's wishes to fight for the North. Wadsworth earlier had received a telegram that his son had been severely injured. The poem was put to music in 1872. And we know how the poem starts, or the song starts, right? I was listening to a carpenter's version of it earlier this week. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat, of peace on earth, goodwill to all. But Longfellow, like Mary, is truthful. And so in verse 6, there's a hard-edged indictment of the times. And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Longfellow knew the power of hatred. He knew the destructiveness of war. Like Mary, Longfellow had to be bluntly truthful. And at the same time, he could trust deeply in the power of God's love born to us in Christ. And so the song goes on. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to all. Now that's an older song. This week, I heard uh, a newer song. It's new to me anyway. That speaks powerfully and poignantly of that kind of trust. It's an Arabic song. It's a song that Palestinian Christians sing at Christmas. It's titled, Leilat Amalad, which translates, On Christmas Night. See, the story of the, ancient, of the, of the Holy Family is not only ancient. It's being relived right now by families who have been displaced, sent into exile, families who are in constant danger. And yet, our sisters and brothers in the Palestinian church at Christmas have such hope and faith and trust that they sing, on the night of Christmas, hatred will vanish. On the night of Christmas, the earth blooms. On the night of Christmas, war is buried. On the night of Christmas, love is born. The love of God born to us in Bethlehem is meant to be carried by us, though, and so the song goes on. When we offer a glass of water to a thirsty person, we are in Christmas. When we clothe a naked person with a, with a gown of love, we are in Christmas. When we wipe the tears from weeping eyes, we are in Christmas. When we cushion a hopeless heart with love, we are in Christmas. And it goes on. When I kiss a friend without hypocrisy, I am in Christmas. 
when the spirit of revenge dies in me, I am in Christmas. When hardness is gone from my heart, I am in Christmas. When my soul melts in the being of God, I am in Christmas. So this Christmas, listen. Listen to the song of Mary. Listen to the songs and carols and hymns that are both bluntly truthful and deeply trusting. And listen to the song of our sisters and brothers in the land of Christ's birth. And may our soul melt into the being of God. Amen.